0: Don't wait. Visit Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save.
2: The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. doctor everyone, this is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. And you're listening to us on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and on Simul TV. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at com. On all social media sites, exxon Radio TV, And um, let me see here. The X Chronicles newspaper for... February, March is going to be available at xchroniclesnewspaper.com on Friday. And uh, for all the broadcast listings that we have, once again, for the Exxon Broadcast Network, it's www.xzbn.net. Steve Behrman is my special guest this hour, Exxonation. He is an internationally known author, humorist, and workshop leader. For over 33 years, he has written and performed as Swami Beyond Wanda. <laughs> probably got that wrong, oh. right? <laughs> Beyond Ananda. You, you couldn't have a Swami Smith, could you? Oh, no. Anyway, uh, the cosmic comic. Uh, Swami's uh, comedy has been described as both comedy disguised as wisdom and wisdom disguised as comedy. Marianne Williamson has called him the Mark Twain of our generation. On the serious side, Steve has co-authored Spontaneous Devolution, Our Positive Future, and A Way to Get There from Here with cellular biologist Bruce H. Lipton. Uh, Steve's radio show, WikiPolitiki can be heard on OMA Times Radio. And joining me now is Steve Behrman. And Steve, thanks for joining us tonight.
4: Oh, you're welcome. Pleasure to be here
2: and there. And everywhere. Sounds like a Beatles song, doesn't it? Here, there, (laughs) and everywhere. Exactly. Hey, listen, tell us about the creation of the Swami, and how did you get to his name beyond and...
4: Beyond Ananda. Well, you know, it's funny. I was, um, I say I got struck by enlightening during a brainstorm. Uh-huh. Um, I was living in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I was working on a funny paper for the uh, other people I work with at the Department of Parks and Forestry mm-hmm. uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden this name flies into my head Beyond Ananda. Now, those who have go- gone into the whole Swamidom uh, mm-hmm. recognize that. Um, uh, Ananda means bliss, and a lot of the swamis have Ananda after their names. There's Yogananda, Muktananda, Satchitananda, Kriyananda, and on and on and on and on and, on and, on. and I heard the name beyond Ananda, and it made me laugh. And so when I started a publication uh, in Ann Arbor uh, for the uh, holistic community and so on, and recognized that people needed to poke fun at what they were, uh, at what they were doing in a gentle way, uh, I came up with the character Swami Beyond Ananda, cool. uh, who became our our mascot and the most popular feature in the paper. So, what does the Swami do? Well, the Swami is a purveyor of what we call cosmic comic consciousness, cosmic comic consciousness, mm-hmm. and and the main the main precept is light. It's a joke, laugh. And if you have that little bit of perspective on things that are going on, if you can create that degree of separation, it's a joke, laugh. Then you begin to find the comedy, find the joke hidden in the picture, and uh, you're also able to help uplift other people uh, by committing random acts of uh, playful comedy. So, uh, part of what I teach when I'm when I do my teaching is mm-hmm. how to do this. I have a uh, upcoming teleclass called "How to See Funny," uh, but the Swami is mainly a uh, a wild character who shape-shifts ideas and concepts, um, and, you know, if you have the Swami uh, on a little bit later, it'll give you a demonstration of it, but mainly the idea behind the Swami is to uh, poke fun at our human foibles, do it in a way that's funny, do it in a way that's heart-opening, and uh, leave some insight, have, a, have an awakening in the wake of the laughter.
2: You know, we're living in very serious times here, Steve. How can comedy help us? God help us. No, I mean, I think
4: actually what what comedy does two things. First of all, in in these serious times that we're living in, Mm -hmm. I call them evolutionary times because we are in the process. uh, If we survive, we're in the process of evolving from, uh, as Swami would say, children of God to adults of good. And we're in this very awkward stage that he calls adult essence because our essence has been addled by toxic beliefs and ruled by uh, the lowest common dominator for the last 5,000 years. So what's happening is that all of these things that have been under the surface Mm -hmm. are coming up and coming out. And comedy is a great way to release the tension through laughter and also to create insight. Um, Because comedy puts together things that don't normally belong together. And it's a way of dealing with the contradictions and, and the paradoxes and evolution, uh, is something that takes us out of these um, the dueling dualities that we that we see, the two it's either this or that, and points us to a third way. And, you know, maybe people wonder, why is it that jokes always come in threes, uh, like a minister, a priest, and a rabbi? So I'll give you an example. Minister, a priest, and a rabbi are discussing uh, their legacy. How do they want to be remembered, and what do they want the eulogist to be saying when they're in their casket at their funeral? And the minister says, well, I want them to be saying he was a family man and a pillar of his community. The priest said, I want them to be saying he was a holy man Mm -hmm. and a leader of his his flock. The rabbi says, I want them to be saying, look, I think he's breathing. Okay. (laughs) So so normally what happens is comedy points us in an unexpected direction and -hmm. gives us a third pathway. And as you see, people are really, really stuck in their belief systems, in their entrenched beliefs, and uh, creating trench warfare. Um, Comedy is a way for us to help deconstruct obsolete, and a new word, obsolethal, which is obsolete and deadly, obsolete and obsolethal ideas, and do it in a way that uh, creates laughter and insight.
2: Is comedy just an escape from reality?
4: You know, I think reality is an escape from comedy.
2: I, I look at it
4: the other way. Um, I, I think that actually I look at comedy, at least the kind of comedy that I do, mm-hmm. as um, as a radical embrace of reality. That um, in a certain regard, we do so many things to keep us away from um, from seeing what's in front of us. Uh, George Carlin, who I greatly admired, had, had the idea. He said, you know, people go to comedy clubs just to release just enough tension so that they can go back to their miserable existences. But I'm not, I'm not cynical. I'm not that cynical about it, but I see that what comedy potentially can do and the kind that I like to do is to create insight that awakens people um, so that in the midst of the seriousness, they might see a higher way, a better way out. And I'll give you an example of what was perhaps one of the most transformational, uh, comedy moments in in our history. And this happened in 1962 during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And there were Americans and Soviets meeting to discuss the possible trade between the two countries. And when news of the Missile Crisis hit, everything stopped. There was tremendous tension in the room. And finally, one of the Soviet delegates rather timidly raised his hand and he said, I suggest we each go around and tell a joke. And he volunteered to start. His joke was, What's the difference between capitalism and communism? In capitalism, man exploits man. In communism, it's the other way around. And everybody in that room, there was a hesitation, and they all burst out laughing. And in that laughter, the tension was released, and they were able to continue their business. Because the joke busted the trance of separation, that beyond all of these isms, uh, we're all human beings. We all, the, all of these people were in fear that they might never see their families again. And that little joke brought them back in, in, into um, uh, common, uh, into a common space, and they were able to continue with their meeting. So I look at comedy as a, as a transformational act. Uh, it's like a magic trick. And if it's done right, you can open people's hearts and free their minds.
2: But comedy these days seems to be so vulgar.
4: Well, you know, I think that that's what that's the kind of comedy that uh, that George Carlin was talking about, where people basically um, they want to get lubricated enough um, to laugh at ridiculous stuff and and find the non-meaning in things. Um, but all comedy, if it, if it's if it if it actually is funny, mm-hmm. all comedy is pointing out contradictions, and you can do that. Um, you can do that about anything. You can do it about sexual relationships. You can do it about body image, you could do it about politics mm-hmm. and, uh, and I guess in, in comedy clubs that's the kind of comedy people want to hear that's why I don't do comedy clubs
2: Yeah, that's why I don't go to them
4: Yeah <laughs> Hey, that's why I didn't meet you at one There you Either go Alright, right, exactly. stand
2: by, we've got to take our break Exo Nation, Steve Behrman is our guest this hour www.wakeuplaughing.com This is the X-Zone. I am Rob McConnell coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in beautiful Niagara, Ontario, Canada. Now, if you'd like to find out about the broadcast schedule we have for you on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. And for the X-Zone TV channel on, let me see here, uh, Simultv, visit www.simultv.com and in the search engine... Just type in X-Zone. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break. Don't go away. Behrman is our special guest this hour, ExoNation, www.wakeuplaughing.com. Uh, several years ago, Steve, you wrote a book with, um, let me see, Bruce Lipton, Spontaneous Evolution. Mm-hmm. What's that book about, and, and is it pertinent in today's society? Well, it's, uh, it's both pertinent and it's a bit impertinent, too.
4: Uh, I met Bruce uh, in 2005. He had just written a book called Biology of Belief, which mm-hmm. is uh, one of the most be- it's a, been a bestseller for many years, and Biology of Belief talks about how our beliefs and perceptions impact our health, our lives, and the outpicturing of, uh, of, of, our, of, of, our, of our lives and world. And Bruce and I began a conversation about what if we applied the ideas in, sponta- in, the, in biology of belief to society in general, to our collective beliefs, and the result is... Uh, spontaneous evolution and we have three sections of the book the first is uh, uh the what so section the second is a so what and the third is the now what and in the what so section we talk about how um beliefs and perceptions change over time and how they are um largely unconscious to us i mean a lot of a lot of things that 95 percent of who we are and what we do is below the conscious level and so uh, often we'll read books and, or go to a seminar, we want to change something in our lives, but because of the very deep prior programming, um, you know, we're not able to make the change. And so this book talks about how to do that, and it also talks about how we've been, um, um, in a way, hoodwinked mm-hmm. into accepting uh, beliefs that are not quite true, that are obsolete, and then it points us in the direction of uh, of a healthy future where we actually, uh, we call it changing the guard and regrowing the guard and changing the guard, meaning um, removing the century beliefs that are limiting to us and replacing them with visionary beliefs that'll bring about the world that we all know is possible. Um, one of the things I can say about that is that as an evolutionary biologist, um, Bruce maintains that the next stage of human evolution mm-hmm. Uh, It doesn't have anything to do with artificial intelligence, but it has to do with real intelligence, and it has to do with recognizing that we're all cells in a superorganism called humanity, and that um, at a certain level of population, um, the structures in biology, the structures have to change. I mean, if you you think about it, imagine that we were living in a hunter-gatherer society, and every morning, 8 million New Yorkers would be trudging up to Westchester County to forage for food. At that kind of scale, that's a ridiculous way of organizing. And so, at the scale that we are right now, uh, the way that we have of organizing, which is me or you dominate or be dominated, fundamentally how we humans are organizing right now, is, is um, the equivalent of autoimmune dysfunction in the body politic, in that uh, healthy cells are destroying other healthy cells to the detriment of the whole system so in recognizing that we're all cells on the same body we see that everybody has a job everybody has something that they do really well mm-hmm. everybody has a work of heart and that as this is woven together um we find a more uh, a more generative society than the one we have now we we withdraw our energy off the battlefield and we get onto a different playing field and Again, this is an evolutionary imperative. It sounds like I'm um, a pie in the sky ideal, but it really has to become a feet on the ground, real deal. If we are to make it through this passage, uh, without destroying ourselves.
2: Well, don't we have to face reality head on? Face our dragons.
4: Well, I, exactly. Well, I think part of the uh, part of the reality that we have to face mm-hmm. is both the awful truth and the awesome opportunity. And you know, these have been called apocalyptic times, and what apocalypse means is the lifting of the veils and so what we're seeing is that all of these secrets all of these toxic secrets are being revealed we in the united states we have a president who is um i call him america's balloon karma payment he's representing all of the things that have been under the surface and now they're on the surface and part of the reality that we have to face are these shadow pieces that we've ignored and we've uh you know, swept under the carpet. At the same time that those toxic things are being revealed,
5: mm-hmm. we're
4: also being exposed to secrets that have been kept in protective custody for millennia, um, uh, various spiritual paths, whether we're talking about shamanic paths, uh, ancient uh, Celtic paths, we're talking about um, Vedic medicine, Chinese medicine, uh, et etc., etc. Cetera, et cetera, So we have tremendous uh, tools that are exposed Um, disposal right now to be able to um, uh, heal ourselves energetically, to be able to tune in and have a one-on-one relationship with the all-that-is and not have to go through the filters of religion. Um, So this is really a very exciting time, and people are at all different levels of understanding and uh, and evolution.
2: But wouldn't you agree that today's society is being Inundated with way too much data, and that the amount of data that is being uh, required to be processed by our our brain is putting us into an overload situation nine times out of ten.
4: Absolutely, uh, we've got lots and lots of information. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we call it we call the condition truth decay when you have so many ideas in your head, you don't know what's true and you're overwhelmed with information, we have lots of information, too much, we have some knowledge, and what we are lacking, uh-huh. uh, we're, the thing we're lacking the most is wisdom. Wisdom is how we contextualize our knowledge and use our hearts to use our intelligence more intelligently. So um, we need a different context for looking at what's going on, and uh, the evolutionary context that uh, Bruce and I are putting forward in the book is that we need to shift from a me or you world to a me and you world to recognizing that we're all cells in the same body and that in gathering around the virtues and values that we have in common and what we and our common purpose we can isolate the sociopathogens in the body politic that have been ruling the roost by manipulating one against the other so basically Divide what you're ta-
2: so basically what you're talking about is a collective consciousness
4: Yes, exactly. We have to become aware of the collective consciousness. And the irony mm-hmm. is that we are more, the more we are connected with this collective consciousness, the more free we are. And I know that people are, some people get this idea that, oh my God, we're all going to be one mind and all ruled by one idea. And that's the exact opposite of, of what we're talking about. We're talking about um, the most incredible diversity that we've ever had. And True minority rights for each of us is a minority of one. We, we have the right to be exactly who we are, and all of that fits into a, um, this bigger picture, recognizing that we are actually at one, at one with everyone and everything, and yet we are an individual vantage point for the universe to look at itself.
2: So basically we're talking about the same tenets that are talked about in any religious uh, philosophy.
4: Exactly, but what happens is, um, what the dogma tends to overrule everything, and people get caught up in, in in this, um, in the trivia of it. Uh, Alan Watts said that um, um, most people prefer to worship the finger Mm -hmm. rather than noticing where the finger is pointing. So in every, in every religion, it it was all found. It was founded on a, um, on a significant experience and connection with. Uh, with the ineffable, and uh, in the it loses something in the translation. Some wise guy said that um, um, spirituality is our connection with the divine, and religion is crowd control.
2: Well, I don't agree with that, but it's kind of a nice saying, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, what should, do you think, based on what you're saying, that religion is outdated? I'm saying that religion needs to be updated. Um, The original
4: meaning of uh, religion comes from the word "religare," which means to bind. And the idea was that uh, it was a connection that we had to uh, this ineffable divine, the the one spirit. It's a connection that we have to other people, and it's a connection that we have to the web of life. And if we look at modern society, Mm -hmm. um, we're out of touch with all three. We don't have that individual connection to the divine, we don't have a sacred center in the middle of our civilization. Wait a, that sec, wait a sec,
2: sec, wait a sec, wait a sec, wait a sec, hold on here.
4: Yeah.
2: I know a lot of people who have a direct connection with the divine, uh, the divine of their own philosophy. I know people who claim to have a direct connection with God, a connection with Jesus. Oh, absolutely. You know, and as absolutely. far as the yeah. center, you know, that's what they call the church or the synagogue, or the mosque. So what are we saying here? I'm, I'm having a bit when of a problem trying I'm, to get to the crux of the matter.
4: Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll uncrux it if I can. Sure. Um, it's, it, it is the church and the synagogue and the mosque and the place in nature, and it's where every, it, it includes and transcends mm-hmm. religion and non-religion. So what, when people have that experience of connection, that's exactly what I'm talking about. But we don't have a common language that yet that translates between all of these different systems don't. that are all going in the same way, all going in the same direction.
2: So what's wrong with individuality?
4: I think individuality is great. So, that,
2: that's, so if we're not that's, going along the same direction, we're being individuals. What's wrong with? We're
4: being, we're being individuals, and uh, we each have our individual connection with whatever that is, yeah. when we begin to recognize that, connect, that, the commonality of that connection, even though it's totally unique it's a, as the Swami says, each of us is totally unique, just like everybody else, when we recognize that, um, that total uniqueness that we have mm-hmm. uh, and our, our unique way of relating to whatever that is,
2: all right, stand by. We've got to take our commercial break with the news at the bottom of the hour. And exonation. Nation, Steve Berman and I will be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the XL from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away. So, nation, Steve Berman is our guest this hour. www.wakeuplaughing.com. So, all right, help me understand this: uh, that when we're talking about, we're all part of the same, but you know, we can't be individuals because if we're individuals, we're not part of the same. I, I don't understand the, the This is a per- that.
4: it's the perfect paradox. Just like comedy is a paradox, uh-huh. this paradox. Uh, both are true. We're absolute individuals. That's the whole point. Everybody is unique, and everybody has something that they're, that they're bringing to the game. And uh, it's just a bigger game than what we've, what we've imagined until now. So there's, not kind of, there's no kind of control from the top down. It's simply recognizing from the bottom up that um, when we work together, things work better.
2: Okay, so how do we accomplish that? Because that'll never happen. Everybody is too individualistic. Everybody has their own beliefs. Everybody has their own way of doing things. At the end of the day, does it really matter? Well,
4: you know, it's interesting. I mean, if we look at human history, we're just a little dot in human history right now. Yeah. Um, and so our little civilization here that um, uh, and the individualism mm-hmm. that you're talking about is, is pretty new. It's pretty new. It's, it's, it's you know, if we see what uh, since World War II, we've become uh, much more focused on uh, individual fulfillment and so on. And What's happened is that there are other things that have fallen apart. We've, we're, we've woven ourselves outside the web of life in a lot of different ways.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And um, money has become the main motivation. And there's been nothing, actually, that's uh, superseded that. Um, you know, in the old days, and when there was more community, when there was, let's say, the church at the center of, uh, of town, the center of the community, then there was a lot more of... Um, of this recognition of how we are connected, and um, everything to an extreme um, is is toxic. So I mean, you, you know, if you look at collectivism to the extreme, we've seen how toxic that can be, and individualism to the extreme, we see that everybody is pulling in different directions, and the center doesn't hold. So it's really a matter of balance, and I think if we're if we want to look at where the where the balance comes from. It ultimately comes from each individual. It comes from individuals um, having that realization of you know what their what their own connection is, what their own purpose is, and recognizing that um, if this is woven into a uh, a greater purpose, then um, things things work better. Um, you know, we we've had this uh, this one of the beliefs that we. Debunk as one of our misperceptions in, in the book is the um, Darwinian idea of survival of the fittest. It's not exactly right. It's really the non-survival of the non-fittest. You know, the the, the uh, predator animal is not looking to uh, f- track down the fastest gazelle. You know, so the lion could put that gazelle in his uh, den. Uh, lion, uh, the gazelle head in his den. Uh, it's actually the weakest animal. Um, so it's not really the, sur- the the survival of the fittest, and what we find in most ecosystems that it's the thrival of the fittingest. That those um, those entities that fit into the environment that are that are in harmony with the environment that create uh, rebalance in the environment. Those are the ones that thrive. And if we're looking at the various crises that um, our species is going through right now. Um, it certainly looks like the Earth is trying to kick us off the planet.
2: But isn't this, um, isn't that just a part of evolution? What we're going through now.
4: Well, it's part of evolution, but we mm-hmm. have the consciousness. We don't know what other beings existed before we did, but we do know that um, if we look at the evolution of the, uh, uh, the single cell to the double to the uh, multicellular organism, and multicellular organisms developing into very complex organisms like you or I, we have 50 trillion cells. Um, if we see that we are the first stage where we actually have consciousness and that we can make choices about what we do. Um, and we can make a choice to, uh, the simplest choice, the simplest choice is, um, is what we are doing, uh, is it feeding, is it feeding love or is it feeding fear? Are we, are we, um, bringing things toward a healing, mm-hmm. uh, healing direction or are we, are we pushing things apart? Um, and often that, that pushing apart um, when people are inundated with fear, um, you know, when that would particularly fear of the other, whoever that other might be, then they're, um, they're leveraged into doing things that they wouldn't do otherwise. Um, so, what we have right now is a, is a political system where um, each side is pumping its own brand of fear into, it, into its people and creating uh, a sense of disconnection with the other side, dehumanizing the other side.
2: But this is nothing um, new. This is how the political arenas have, have conducted business for years and years and years. The only reason why it is so popular these days is because of the Internet and the, and the amount of information that is accessible to people. Well,
4: it's, I, it, it's been that way, but you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. In other words, things change over time. Uh, and And what's happening right now, particularly with the uh, the crises that we're facing in terms of uh, our own civilization, in terms of um, popular overpopulation, climate, yeah. all of these things, the oceans, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, that that requires a different level of organization. And it doesn't have to be, in fact, it can't be uh, an externally imposed big daddy, big brother, uh, which is, uh, looks like where we're heading. We're, we're heading toward that uh, that kind of totalitarian um, that's view. It, it's happening on both sides. It's happening in the current administration in the USA. And it's also happening uh, where um, the other side, the Democratic side, uh, mm-hmm. are trying to shut down people who are, um, saying, you know, maybe those vaccinations aren't safe after all.
2: But so, once again, once again that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a matter of choice, whether you want to get vaccinated or you don't, or if you want to get an abortion or not. You know, I, I'm not pro-abortion whatsoever, believe me. I am, uh, I am totally for the right-to-life people.
4: But the point is that when something becomes a law. Uh, mm-hmm. Like it is in California now, vaccinations are mandatory in California.
2: Well, vaccinations are mandatory here in Canada too. Big deal. Well, Big deal. You know, so so what? You know, if you want to go to school, you have to have your child vaccinated. Okay, fine. I'll go with the flow. All my kids have been vaccinated, and all six of them, and all their all our grandchildren have been vaccinated. My wife's a medical professional, and she believes in the vaccination. So what's the well, what's the problem?
4: Well, the problem is that, uh, that there are vaccinations that, have, that, have not, that are not safe and that there have been studies that have been um, uh, run by the medical industry that have, been, that have repressed information on that.
2: Well, you know, there's conspiracy and everything, and uh, a study is only as good as the people who do it. And in order to take validity of any study, you have to understand the motives behind the person who is making the study against a study. Who is making a study against it? You know, it's a never-ending circle.
4: Yeah, it's a it's a never-ending circle, and and the thing is that at this point, we we may be coming to a point where um, things are are spinning in such a direction that um, the actual there's an actual center that we just don't have, and. Um, the ways, that, the ways that we have of organizing ourselves at this point uh, seem to be outdated and need an, up, an upgrade. Such as? Well, for example, um, the way that, I don't know how your, your government is working up there, but I think that um, here we basically have um, corporations and the mainstream media mm-hmm. pretty much controlling everything and determining what the parameters of, uh, of discussion and debate are.
2: Well, when it comes to the media and, and how people perceive it, there's a very simple solution. If you don't agree with what the media is doing, don't read the newspaper that that, that is either right-winged or left-winged. If you've got a right-wing or a left-wing wing TV channel on, you don't want to watch it, shut it off. Same thing goes for the radio. Well,
4: well that's, a good, that's a good recipe for not getting upset. But the point is that you know sometimes if we ignore things, if we ignore a condition, mm-hmm. it gets worse, and uh, and so I think we've had that uh, where people have tuned out certain things. Well, I don't want to look at it. Yeah. I don't want to. I I don't believe that, so I don't want to look at it. But nonetheless, it. Um, it makes a difference in how the external society is working. The, only time it, the it,
2: only time it makes a difference is when the person actually gets off their butt and goes and, uh, goes and votes. There's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of armchair politicians out there. And these are the people who refuse to run for office. These are the people who refuse to go to rallies. These are the people who refuse to sign petitions. These are the people who would rather sit on their butts, drink their beer, and just talk a mean game and absolutely do nothing about it.
4: Well, I think that the internet has certainly facilitated that.
2: Well,
5: of course uh, it has. It's
4: facilitated people simply slinging insults at one another. Yep. And, uh, you know, and that, that's, that's part of the polarization because it's mostly um, fighting straw men, You're creating straw men mm-hmm. that don't really exist on the other side and then fighting that. And so what I'm saying is that there's a lot of energy that's wasted on that battlefield that could be better used.
2: I agree with you. Stand by. We've got to take our final break. And Exxon Nation, Steve Behrman is our guest. www.wakeuplaughing.com And uh, let me see. So many things to talk about these days here in the Exxon. Well, listen, why don't you go to www.xzbn.net. Check out some of the great programming we have available for you. 724-365. And uh, also the Exxon TV channel seven twenty four three sixty five on Simul TV. I'm Rob McConnell, Steve Behrman and I will be back as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada.
1: Privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates
0: may apply. Reply STOP opt out.
2: Steve Behrman is our guest this hour, www.wakeuplaughing.com. Uh, Steve, uh, I understand that you were a political science major and um, taking a look at the political scene as well as the, well, we, we touched very slightly on the media, but when it comes to fake news, what's your take on it?
4: Well, I think that uh, it's true. I, I did major in political science, although I never got quite so far as to dissect a politician. Never quite got there. Um, and there's two principles of political science that, that stick with me. First principle is power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And um, the other one is divide and conquer. That's, that's been how um, you know, how societies have been managed for a long time. So what we're seeing right now with this quote-unquote fake news, um, we're seeing two trends. first trend is that uh, the mainstream media has very selectively chosen what it, what it broadcasts. So as an example, in the States, uh, when the Iraq War started, mm-hmm. um, uh, those people who were uh, slightly against the war, they simply were taken off the air. They, their point of view is not allowed to be aired. Now, the reason why that's important Is because um, as we found out there weren't any weapons of mass destruction right simply weapons of mass distraction and because people were not really given the full picture by the mainstream media they you know they saw that uh, it was essentially uh, a state lie that was carried out by the media so what's happened over the many many years is that there's been growing growing distrust in mainstream media so if somebody wanted to really um, create havoc in a society what they would do is they would make sure that nobody really knew what was true. Nobody really knew what's true news and what's not true news. And what we've been seeing in this past um, this past election cycle, 2016, uh, the group from, from the UK, Cambridge Analytics, what they basically did was they cr- kept feeding people the kind of information that they knew would reinforce what they believed. And... Created these. Uh, in fact, a lot of these fa- false memes mm-hmm. that people suck. You know, kind of took in. And I know a lot of people who fell for a lot of these um, very strange narratives because whoever was perpetrating those narratives knew how to get inside their heads.
2: Well, didn't something. didn't that backfire on the uh, on the Hillary uh, on the Clinton people? Because well, they, you know, by using all the analy- Cambridge Analytics and all the. All the uh, crooked ways that the Clintons operate—it backfired. Trump well, actually, got in with it. was the done rhetoric.
4: by Trump. it was done by Trump. Uh, that, that's who benefited by it. Um, and I think that. Oh one wait of the, a sec! Wait a sec! False, Hold on! Here. Hold on here. Well, well, let's been... go.
2: Let's go back here for a second. Yeah, yeah. So you're saying that Cambridge Analytics was hired by Trump?
4: Absolutely, absolutely. Those are the people who hired Cambridge Analytics. They were the ones that actually created all of these bots and memes mm-hmm. to discredit Hillary.
2: Oh, she didn't need Believe to help me, there. she
4: was no, she, if you, I, my, my own personal opinion about her, um, uh, is, uh, yeah, very, un, very unfavorable. I think that, that, you know, the that, um, they, uh, worked against Bernie Sanders. They, they did some very nefarious things. Um, but ultimately, mm-hmm. it was the uh, it was the the uh, uh, Trump people, uh, Stephen, um, Steve Bannon, and so on, right. who used that system uh, against Hillary. Hmm. And in our in our political system, we've had unfortunately we've had uh, in this country, um, he, we had probably the two most unpopular candidates ever. We had the neocon and the genghis Khan. And they both were con artists. And so uh, we, we chose what, what people thought was the lesser evil. But people were greatly manipulated. Um, there's a professor at, um, um, at Harvard, um, I think her name is uh, Zuboff, and she did a very extensive study. Uh, in fact, there's a little documentary um, about it, um, Z-U-B-O-F-F, and she talked about exactly how that was used uh, by the people who were were working for the Trump administration before Trump, the Trump campaign, and that's really what turned they, uh, turned the election. It created a lot of these uh, memes like Pizzagate and so on, which were you know something that has a kernel of truth, but uh, is exaggerated and then is is distorted, and people fell for these things and. Went down the rabbit hole with those things. I've got friends who um, who went for those theories and are still doing it. They're every day. They're sitting waiting for the next installment, mm. saying that exposure of these people is imminent. It's imminent, and of course, it never happens because it's a game that's designed to keep them occupied. Um, and uh, there's you know people go you know well there's a there's the QAnon people who believe that um, uh, that Donald Trump is secretly working. Uh, with the deep state to save America, um, and that he's just pretending to be what he looks like out there, and I've been around for a long time, mm-hmm. and, and I know BS when I see it. It's it's mine. It, it's very Orwellian. If you can tell people that up is down and down is up, uh, which is what's been happening, you know, people go, well, I don't care. I've heard somebody say, well, I don't care if uh, <clears throat> I don't care if it's true. I don't believe it. So people are are much more uh, when when there is a um, uh, when there is fear that right. is put into the system.
2: You know something that I, that I find rather strange. You know, is that looking at the outside, I, I think that President Trump is doing everything that he said he would do, including, you know, draining the swamp. And I think what has really upset the the Washington status quo is that here you have somebody who who wasn't in the political circles who got elected president. And what this shows me is that the system really does work. Because the country is a business. That's why you have a president. That's why you have a vice president. And that's why you have secretaries of all the different divisions. In order to run the country successfully, it took a business person like Donald Trump. Unemployment is down. Industry coming back to the a, United he's States.
4: He's not a business person. He's a he's a con man. Oh, I don't he's, think so. He's a, I don't he's, think so. He's, a, he's, a, he's running the country like a crime boss would do it. I'm going to pardon my friends. I'm going to mm-hmm. pardon all these criminals. And by the way, if you cross me, I'm going to prosecute you. It's personal. It's personal. And I think that the people who... But he's
2: getting the job done. Was. He's getting the job done.
4: He's getting the wrong job done. Oh, I, I don't. I don't. Th- right I don't job.
2: think if you it's ask. I reason. don't think that if you would ask anybody who has uh, been hired, because you know, because of the uh, number of jobs that he's brought back to the United States, or the jobs that have been created, the economy that is that is growing, the stock market uh, that has gone up. To me, that 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 shows that he's doing the right thing.
4: Well, he's doing the right thing on one level, but not mm-hmm. on the other
2: level. Well, what's the he's other not level? Doing
4: He's not doing the right thing in regards to the environment. He's not doing the right thing in regards to, uh, to the, the actual rule of law. He's not doing that. He's a law unto himself. And that, uh, this country is not a business.
2: It's not sure a business. it is. Oh, it's a business. Of course it is. Any country that any country, how can you say it's not a business? Without an economy... And an economy is based on business. An economy
4: is based on a lot of things. An economy is based on what is valuable to create in the first place. So when you're creating jobs, you want Mm -hmm. to create jobs that are actually valuable, that are actually doing something that's of benefit to people.
2: Well, what jobs has has he created that's not a benefit?
4: What jobs has he created? I'm just curious. He's created jobs perhaps in the oil industry. Has he created jobs in the oil industry? What jobs has he created?
2: Well then, why the, if if jobs aren't being created, Steve, why are the employment numbers down instead of up?
4: Because there are people who are homeless and not even looking for a job. Forty percent of people in America are are paycheck to paycheck, and many of them without the paycheck. Many of them without the paycheck, and that and people are just you know they're falling by the wayside and giving up,
2: and so well, oh, we've got We you know we've got an increase in homeless people here in Canada as well. So, you know, and the sad part is, is the number of veterans that are homeless. And, you know, when you look around the world, you've got so many other countries where the employment uh, rate is much higher. The homelessness rate is much higher. The educational fallacies and the failing of the educational field and, uh, is, is down. Jobs are down. You know, so when you look at the United States and Canada, man, we're lucky.
4: Well, in a certain, of course, we've always been at the top of the food chain. That's mm-hmm. certainly true. Um, but we're becoming, in this country, and you're, you're over there on the other side, in this country, we're becoming more and more like a third-world country. And, that's, and, and in terms of our education, in terms of our health care system, which is, um, given the amount of money that mm-hmm. is poured into the healthcare system, and, uh, we're, and given our rank in the world, it's pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. We are a country that has been taken over by the power of money, for the power of money, and we don't know what to do about it.
2: All right, Steve. I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. An explanation, nation. If you'd like to uh, find out more information about Steve Behrman, visit his uh, website, wakeuplaughing.com. Wow. I didn't find him funny. Did you guys? What do I know? Right? I'm a realist. Hmm. Wake up laughing. Eh, I'm not laughing. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. And by the way, I fully support President Trump and what he's doing. Don't go away.